This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, November 18th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Mountain Village moves forward with VCA expansion, Telluride Town Council bans single-use plastic in the future, eyes to ears with Bella Eatman and a mountain weather forecast. More affordable housing is in the pipeline for Mountain Village, currently at the Village Court Apartments. The proposal are two new buildings, and in one building we have um, two bedroom, 13 two-bedrooms and eight one-bedrooms. And then the redesign on the second building are in these um, 14 units with these four-bedroom suites. That's Michelle Haynes, Mountain Village Assistant Town Manager. She says the mix of units feels like an inventory sweet spot. You know, maybe you have a restaurant owner and they they want to, they need four beds and it's more of a kind of dormitory style, but not like a traditional dormitory. And it seemed like a lot of people were kind of interested in having a diversity of, of our housing inventory and also price points for that. When it comes to what that price point will be, all the units are for rent, Haynes notes they're still crunching the numbers, but she anticipates the units will be somewhere between 80 and 120 percent of area median income. In total, the expansion will have an additional 89 beds. The two new buildings will sit just by the playground at VCA. So if you drive, you know, into the property and then you kind of follow the road over to the east where the parking garage is, and we call them buildings eight and nine, these buildings would sit between building 14 and eight and nine and directly adjacent to the current uh, playground. And then there's a little laundry facility on the side of building eight. Haynes notes the goal is to get community members living where they work. What I love about Village Court Apartments is that it's so centrally located. You know, if you want to ski, the slope is right there. If you want to catch the bus, the bus is right there. It's easy to, you know, walk, hike, bike um, to the gondola. And so it will, it's, it's so important to build housing where, where you already have your, your infrastructure in place and that your, your um, residents you know, don't have to commute very far to get to work. So I feel like we're hitting all the right marks with that. As for who's going to live in the new buildings, Haynes says they're still working that piece out. A lot of our current tenants are wondering, well, if there are new rental opportunities at VCA, you know, do we have a shot at it? That kind of thing. And we haven't really worked out yet what that looks like in terms of, you know, um, priority on who's moving into these units and whether people in existing units have the opportunity to move into new units. So those are all things that are still evolving uh, through this winter and next spring. Mountain Village is working with Triumph West Development to construct the units. This week, Town Council gave developers the go-ahead to shop around for modular building companies before submitting a building permit in the coming months. Haynes says Mountain Village hopes to begin construction next summer-fall. Mountain Village plans for a resident move-in date sometime in 2024. If you want a napkin or fork with your takeout, you now have to ask for it. A restaurant would not just provide certain things to a customer when they ordered food either at that restaurant or to go. Most particularly, we were looking at cutlery. 
And you wanted to make sure that those were not just handed out, that a customer had to actually request that. That's Telluride Town Attorney Kevin Geiger presenting before town council this week. The shift comes as Telluride prepares to ban all single-use plastic starting in July 2024. There has been an obscure provision in Colorado law since 1989 that has effectively been a preemption on local governments addressing or restricting plastic materials. But just last year, a new law was signed. It's House Bill 211162. And it does a number of things, but the most important thing for your consideration today is that it will provide for a repeal of that preemption language, but not effective until July 1st, 2024. On Tuesday, Town Council passed an ordinance that will ban single-use plastics on that date. Under the ordinance, single-use plastic containers will be prohibited, including styrofoam. Plastic straws, or beverage straws as they're defined, single-use plastic water bottles. There's an exception for single-use plastic water bottles for fire, EMS, and law enforcement if they need it in an emergency situation and in the case of a town-wide emergency or natural disaster. Plastic cutlery, a variety of miscellaneous plastic prohibitions such as toothpicks, cotton ear swabs made of plastic, and single-use plastic condiments. So what I want you to think of there are your ketchup, mayonnaise, sriracha that's handed out at various establishments that are packaged in plastic or single-use plastic. And then the final is garnish, spears, or stirs of any kind. There is also an exception for single-use plastic needed for medical uses. Geiger adds the ban on single-use plastics applies to all businesses and includes major and minor festivals in the town of Telluride. Council is supportive of the plastic ban, but some have concern when it comes to the idea of prohibiting condiment containers, like ketchup packets or plastic ramekins. Council member Dan Enright worries about the impact it could have on businesses. I consider myself a proud environmentalist, and I, you know, I want to see a greatly reduced, I don't know if we'll ever get to a plastic-free future, but greatly reducing our need for plastics of all kinds is important, but I consider this a little bit of an olive branch to the business community, to the restaurant community, while still having strong forward thinking and frankly leading uh, and precedent setting uh, legislation, Um, but while still acknowledging the realities of the, the challenges of running a business in a town like Telluride. But council member Mian Fee thinks the reward is worth the potential challenges. I tend to still think that it needs to be done and it's going to hurt. And it's but I think the hope is, is that people aren't necessarily if they're taking food to go, maybe they're, you know, they're using the condiments before they leave the restaurant um, or there's another product that is going to kind of come into play. In the end, council voted to keep language that will prohibit plastic condiment containers with the acknowledgement they can amend the code later if need be. When it comes to that opt-in requiring customers to request cutlery or napkins, that provision goes into effect immediately and it won't stop once the plastic ban goes into effect. Even if some of that Uh, plastic, single-use plastic might be prohibited after July 1st, 2024. There are other things that are handed out that you probably also wanted to have the opt-in language apply to. So we did two things. We took out the durational limit of the opt-in. So it'll be from this point on, doesn't expire July 1st, 2024. And then it also has been broadened 
to include napkins and, quote, other items provided to a customer beyond the prepared food. Telluride's single-use plastic ban will go into effect on July 1st, 2024. The opt-in provision requiring customers to request cutlery and other items from a business is in effect now. Today, we have the first installment of a new segment, Eyes to Ears. This week, Telluride High School's Bella Eatman dives into the life of the Blue Lady. Have a listen. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Eyes to Ears, a program where I find art to describe to you and maybe even interview the artists in this local area. Today we're going to talk about a painting I encountered one day a few weeks ago. It was a Tuesday, I believe, when I was meandering about Main Street to look at the many pieces of art from our local area. Nearing the end of Main Street, I see the Mix Art Gallery. Admiring the aesthetic of what little art I could see, I enter. There would be many paintings from that gallery I admired. However, the painting known as The Blue Lady by Carlos Gemez de Francisco was the picture that grabbed my attention the most. Let's paint a picture, shall we? We start off with a coat of light cobalt blue covering almost the entire canvas and beneath it there lay stone tile floors. Insert the blue lady with her nice blue floral pattern dress possibly from the 1800s or so, with her bright red shoes peeking out like a rabbit leaving its burrow. She stands alone and ladylike, with her hands holding each other in front of her, but she shows no expression. In fact, there isn't even a head above her neck. Instead, there sprouts a beautiful bouquet of flowers, with many different colors. Nearly the entire rainbow is flourishing off her shoulders, and of course, where there are flowers, there are bees and insects of quite a few kinds. I wonder if she'd be interested in beekeeping. Besides her stands a monochromatic Scottish terrier, a friend among the many other smaller friends. When I reflect upon this picture, I think of multiple possible stories to take place here. Perhaps the blue lady had spontaneously been decapitated with the head nowhere to be found, and all that there is left is flowers. What if she is normal, but we perceive her as a beautiful woman with a slightly different, more natural look about her? Or maybe even she's just an ethereal being of some sort with that kind of a connection to nature. But those are my scrambled thoughts. If you, the listener, have any time on your hands, go to the Mix Art Gallery and see what you think of the Blue Lady. Thank you for listening to Eyes to Ears on Kodo. My name is Bella Eatman, and have a wonderful rest of your day. Visit the library on a weekday afternoon and you're bound to see a plethora of high school seniors out and about. But now the Wilkinson Public Library is offering a new program for seniors, 
of an older age. Starting Monday, November 21st, the library will host a social hour just for seniors. According to the library, the gatherings will have no agenda, so topic of conversation can range from current affairs to books to whatever the day brings. Hot beverages and light snacks will be provided. A social hour just for seniors will take place every other Monday from 11 a.m. to noon in the library's magazine room. Sure, it's not quite Thanksgiving, but Christmas is coming, the goose is getting fat, and trees are about to fall on the Grand Mesa and Compagre and Gunnison National Forests. Christmas tree permits are currently available for the GMUG. Permits are required to cut a tree on federal land and cannot be cut near picnic areas, campgrounds, trailheads, scenic pullouts, wilderness areas, or next to ski areas. Trees must be subalpine or Douglas fir, Engelman spruce, lodgepole, bristlecone, ponderosa, or pinyon pine, or juniper. They must also be a maximum of 20 feet tall with a stump diameter of 6 inches maximum. Topping trees is not allowed. To purchase a tree permit, go to recreation.gov and search for Grand Mesa, Uncompagre, and Gunnison National Forest's Christmas tree permits. Colorado Parks and Wildlife has proposed management plans for 14 elk herds in southwest Colorado, and they're looking for input from the public. CPW officials note for all but three of the herds, they're simply looking for an extension of the previously approved management plans. There are potential changes for management objectives for the Uncompagre Plateau, Paradox, and East Gunnison Basin herds, which have management plans more than 10 years old. According to CPW, the primary purpose of management plans is to establish management objectives for each herd when it comes to population size and sex ratio. Those objectives will help identify elk hunting license numbers. The herd on the Uncompagre Plateau includes game units in Delta, Mesa, Montrose, Ure, and San Miguel counties. The current plan places the ideal population at 8,500 to 9,500 elk. CPW wants to increase that number to 11,000 to 15,000 elk, with an increase in the bull-to-cow ratio. The Paradox Herd sits in Montrose and Mesa counties along the Utah state line. Its current ideal population is 900 to 1,100 elk. CPW wants to up that number to 1,200 to 1,600 elk and maintain the status quo for bull-to-cow ratio. Finally, the East Gunnison Basin Herd sits in Gunnison and Saguach counties with the current ideal population at 3,000 to 3,500 elk. CBW wants to increase that number to 6,200 to 7,200 elk and maintain the status quo for bull-to-cow ratio. Public comment on the draft herd management plans is open through December 20th. Individuals can submit comment to jamin, J-A-M-I-N, dot grig, G-R-I-G-G, at state.co.us. Democrat Adam Frisch conceded to Republican incumbent Lauren Boebert on Friday in the race for Colorado's 3rd Congressional District. KOTO's Lucas Brady-Woods reports an automatic recount is likely. Frisch's concession comes as Boebert leads by just over 500 votes. That margin is within the threshold that would trigger a mandatory recount. The Secretary of State's office has until December 5th to officially declare one, which has to be done by December 13th. Boebert claimed victory in a 
video on Thursday night. With this victory and with Republicans in control of the House of Representatives, we can focus on the issues that actually matter most, including getting inflation under control, increasing our domestic energy supply, securing the southern border, and being a strong check on the White House. Boebert was predicted to easily win re-election, but the race was much closer than expected. She was first elected in 2020 and quickly aligned herself with former President Donald Trump. Boebert's win helps Republicans strengthen the thin majority they won this week in the U.S. House of Representatives. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods in Denver. Author John Irving has made himself a household name for his sprawling novels like The World According to Garp, The Cider House Rules, and A Prayer for Owen Meany. His latest book, The Last Chairlift, contains plenty of familiar Irving themes, plus a story of skiing, ghosts, and Aspen's Hotel Jerome. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Aspen Public Radio's Kaya Williams spoke with the author over Zoom. In the fictional world of The Last Chairlift, narrator and protagonist Adam Brewster might not even exist were it not for skiing in Aspen in the 1940s. His mother, Ray, was a slalom racer just shy of 19 years old, in town for the National Downhill and Slalom Championships in 1941. She didn't get near a podium, really, but she does get pregnant in a no-strings-attached kind of situation with a younger boy she met at the Hotel Jerome. It's only the beginning of a book that stretches eight decades and almost 900 pages. Aspen and the Hotel Jerome are fixtures from the first pages to nearly the last ones. But author John Irving says he didn't set out to write a story so driven by skiing. In fact, he didn't even have a location in mind when he started by developing the characters in the book. The characters began the story. Well, I wanted Adam's mother to be a person who is almost oblivious to risks, to be a person who is courageous and independent, uh, someone who is um, unmoved by conformity or conventionality, but is someone who has it in her for all these things that might be admirable or um, uh, courageous about her. Uh, she has within her the, the capacity to take a, take a step too far. Irving wanted her to be a competitor, too. Not a winning one, per se, but one with the gumption to compete anyway. That's when he landed on a skier, not quite big enough to pick up sufficient speed in the downhill. And so there's always something that's, that, that's been a little compromised in about her. Mm-hmm. But she's her, her pluck is, is uh, kind of ingrained. Uh, she'll take chances. I was looking for what risks might she take that we all might consider, oh, come on, not that. I won't tell you about those chances here, lest I spoil the book. But it won't come as a surprise to any avid Irving reader to learn that the last chairlift is woven with the thread of sexual politics and an embrace of people who don't identify as straight or cisgender. Adam, the main character, is the only straight guy among the people who mean the most to him. Even so, Irving says the political element comes later in the writing process. I begin with, what's the story? Who are the characters? What's going to happen to them? Where do they end up? And then if I see a a social political issue that is organic to these characters I'm thinking of and their history, well, I won't hesitate to use it, but I don't begin with the politics. Then there are the ghosts. 
figures of Aspen's distant past and of Adam Brewster's not-so-distant family history who make frequent appearances in the last chairlift's chapters. Irving says he didn't set out to write about ghosts, either but some might consider them almost intrinsic to the Aspen element of the story. They're miners and Ute warriors and Jerome B. Wheeler himself. Not the ghosts most frequently seen at the Hotel Jerome, perhaps, but Irving is well acquainted with those ones, too. Irving says he's stayed at the Jerome more times than he can count and claims it's his favorite hotel in the country, even if he's a little disappointed that he hasn't had any ghost sightings himself as a guest. What in, intrigued me especially uh, about Aspen as a ski town and the Jerome as a hotel was that it had a life prior to skiing. It, it had another life. That, that gave it more age and more history than a lot of America or American hotels uh, generally have. That doesn't mean The Last Chairlift is a spooky story, though. Irving cites a line from near the end of the book that suggests the people we care about don't just disappear. You know, the people you love don't go away. Ghosts or no ghosts, we still see them. I wouldn't call that haunting. To be more psychologically accurate, the people who meant the most to you, dead or alive, they hang around. From the Edless Neeson Arts and Culture Desk, I'm Kaya Williams. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 10 degrees. Saturday should be sunny during the day and mostly clear at night with a high in the mid-30s and a low around 15. Sunday should be sunny during the day with a high near 40 degrees. Sunday night calls for clear skies with a low around 20. This has been the news for Friday, November 18th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.